0: Mildest thing you could possibly think about. I'm thinking of, you know, some, some things that just I dream up in my head of what if this happened? How could I survive uh, this? Most of them have to do with animals. I mean, I, I do enjoy snorkeling and, and being in the ocean whenever I get a chance in bodies of water. And I always have this fear, not, well, we'll get to the sharks in a minute, but really of an octopus coming up and grabbing me. And, and pinning me down to the bottom of the ocean floor. How can you survive that? Well, luckily for us, there's a book that came out called Worst Case Scenarios and how to survive those worst case scenarios. Maybe you're familiar with it. If not, I'll tell you how to survive the op- octopus attack. You just start going into somersaults as fast as you can. That is your only chance of survival you can't panic about it. If you panic, it will grip even more, but just do somersaults. If you don't know how to do a somersault, yeah, it might not be a good turnout for you, okay? But, but that's the first one. Uh, if a shark is after you, what do you do? Yeah, you punch it in the nose and in the gills. That's its two most sensitive parts of its body. I'm being serious about that. If a, if a shark comes up to you, It's like a left jab and a right hook is preferable, okay? You want to make sure you do that. Uh, Aliens, anybody worried about being abducted by aliens? We would probably need to talk to you after services. But just in case that we do have an alien invasion, uh, you look into their eyes, but you protect your thoughts because they can read your mind, all right? Aliens. Uh, Gorillas, have you been to the zoo and seen the big silverback? Gorillas. If you're ever in a gorilla's grip, you only have one option, and that is to start stroking its arm. They are just fascinated by groomers. They love to groom themselves all the time. Your only hope is to make them feel like they're at a day at the spa and that they'll let you go. It's your only hope whatsoever. And what about those fire-breathing dragons? You only have one option there, and you need a shield. And that shield needs to be made out of something that we don't want to touch, which is asbestos. So if you don't want to touch an asbestos shield, stay away from fire-breathing dragons. Oh, we could, the list could go on and on. What would happen if I fell out of a plane with no parachute? What would happen if I was trapped in a falling elevator? What would happen? How would I survive if I were buried alive? I mean, you could be facing your worst-case scenario... But the odds of that happening are, are so remote, so remote, you don't need to lose any sleep over that, right? We don't need to lose any sleep over that. And I've stayed up pondering some of the gloomy possibilities, some, some true worst-case scenarios. What is your worst-case scenario in your life? What, what worst-case scenario that turns into fear like if, if I pass away early in life and my family is left to... Uh, take care of themselves without me? Have I prepared? Have I I done enough? I I worry about that worst case scenario. Would they live lives in in poverty or what what the case may be if I'm not there to help provide for them? That's true. Uh, Another one would be um, the thought of, you know, just growing old and too soon losing your mind and not not knowing what's going on. That's a, that's a worst-case scenario, and we allow those things to turn into fears. Some, some other ones might be public failure. It could be unemployment. Maybe for you, your worst-case scenario is, is never being able to experience uh, a healthy life. Maybe it's being trapped. Maybe it's being abandoned. Maybe it's being forgotten. And there are legitimate fears, by the way, We have legitimate fears, but we need to know the difference between prudence and paranoia. There is a difference. Let me give you a couple of those. Prudence wears a seatbelt. Paranoia would never step foot in a car. Prudence washes with soap. Paranoia would avoid all human contact. Uh, Prudence saves for old age. Paranoia hoards even their trash. Uh, prudence prepares and plans, paranoia panics, prudence takes the plunge, paranoia never enters the water, which reminds me of my kids when they were younger, much younger. They're 18 months apart and I can remember one summer on the edge of a swimming pool and I'm in the swimming pool and I'm trying to get the kids to do what? I want them to jump to me, jump to me, And Bryce was all too happy at that point in time. So, you know, jump to me, and he would jump in. And I remember when he did that, that McKenna celebrated. And that was great, Bryce, way to go. This is exciting. He jumped in, and then I said, McKenna, you jump in. And she began to back away from me, right? She didn't want to jump in. She didn't want to take the plunge. And so that's how many of us live our lives, on the edge of a pool, Never taking the plunge in our life for fear of the worse. The reason Bryce jumped at that point in time in his life, and we'll come back to McKenna later today, but the reason he jumped at that point in time in his life is because he trusted the Father. He trusted his arms. And Jesus did too. And Jesus did a lot more than speak about fears, he also faced it. Jesus did face his worst case scenario. You're looking at the garden in Gethsemane and the cross at Golgotha. His worst-case scenario. Mark 14, 33 through 36 says this. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little farther, he fell to the ground. And he prayed that, if it were possible... The hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. I mean, here's a man who was experiencing horror. This was, for Jesus, this was horror. Horror is a man rendered helpless, disoriented, anguished, troubled, dismayed. And that's where Jesus found himself at this point in time. Matthew 26, 37, I looked up several different translations. Let me just share what it had to say about Jesus. It called him depressed and confused, sorrowful and troubled, anguished and dismayed. And all this had something to do with a cup. Remove this cup from me. So I thought it might be good this morning just to define cup. The cup was biblically more than something that you drank out of. The cup was God's anger. It was God's judgment and God's punishment. I think you can write that down. It was God's anger, God's judgment, and God's punishment. We have references to this throughout the Bible. Isaiah 51, 22, Thus says your Lord, the Lord your God, who pleads the cause of this people... Behold, I have taken from your hand the cup of staggering, the bowl of my wrath, you shall drink no more. So Isaiah mentions the cup as God's wrath. Jeremiah twenty five, fifteen. Says, Thus the Lord, the God of Israel, said to me, Take from my hand, here it is, notice, the cup of the wine of wrath, and make all the nations to whom I send you uh, to whom I send you drink it. Revelation 14 10. He also will drink the wine of God's wrath, poured full strength into the cup of his anger. And he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. Here's what you need to know about the cup. The cup was Jesus' worst case scenario. The cup was Jesus' worst case scenario. What did this mean? It meant that Jesus was going to be the recipient of God's wrath. He was going to be the recipient of God's fury. He was going to be the recipient of God's isolation. And here's the thing about that. He never deserved this. Jesus did not deserve this worst case scenario. Notice this is so foreign to him because the two have always been one. The two, God and Jesus, they have always been one. Jesus had never known what a physical death was like, and he was about to face all of this. The cup from the Garden of Gethsemane to Golgotha's cross was Jesus' worst case scenario. And God was going to unleash his wrath on the sin covered son. So Jesus was afraid. He wasn't just afraid, he was deathly. He was deathly afraid. But what he did with his fear and what he did when when he faced his worst case scenario is what you and I need to do when we're facing our worst case scenario. Jesus prayed. Jesus prayed. Matthew 26, 36. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane and he said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. But notice one prayer wasn't enough for Jesus. Matthew 26, 42 through 44. Again for the second time he went away and prayed. My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed. Now for the third time, saying the, he said the same words again. I mean, he even requested prayers from his supporters in verse 41. Jesus faced His worst case scenario, Jesus faced his worst fears through prayer. And I don't want to overcomplicate this topic. My question today is, shouldn't we do the same? The problem is, is that we have overcomplicated prayer. We have prayer rules now. We have to have the perfect words for prayer. We have to have the perfect places for prayer. We have to have the perfect clothing for prayer. We have to have the correct posture. We have to have the correct duration for the prayer. Let's just be honest. You know, we feel like sometimes we may need to stretch it out a little bit because we're leading the first prayer, and it needs to be have a little bit more medium. Let's just be honest with each other here. We have to have the perfect... Um, intonations, you know, whenever we pray, we have to raise our voices, right? And it's just Jesus had none of this. He had none of this. I mean, if we're going to follow Jesus's example, his prayer was short. It was 26 words, 26 words. It was straightforward. He was just open with God. He just said it like it was, take this cup away. Please God, take this cup away from me. But the third thing that he did is that he was very trusting in God as well. Because Jesus said, not my will, but your will be done. It wasn't fancy. The words weren't eloquent. You know, it was more like a frightened child on a dad's lap. I mean, and and that's it. Jesus' garden prayer was a child's prayer. Let me tell you something that you can't get away with anymore but when I grew up when I was little about your age about as small as you maybe smaller I probably never was as small as you are I'm sorry no I was always bigger than you I sat on dad's lap and dad let me drive the car he would have his hands on the wheel maybe some of you dads have done this if you do it now make sure you're out in the country because they'll pull you over. It's illegal now. Used to, you could get away with this, but you could also get away with sleeping up in the back dash as well, doing down the road. Uh, And I would put my hands inside of his hands, and he would let me, you know, drive. And I would drive. I didn't worry about going in a ditch. I wasn't a worry. I didn't worry about turning the corner too fast and making the car flip over. I didn't worry about that. I didn't worry about oncoming traffic. I didn't worry about running into another car. Dad's hands were always next to mine. His eyes were much sharper than mine. He could actually see above the wheel something that I probably couldn't do. I just peeked. I just knew that I had my hands on the wheel. I was fearless. I could go anywhere and do anything. And you know what? We can be the same way in our prayer lives. Anyone that is in here today, sitting here today, if you're listening this morning any one of you can pray from that same perspective sitting calmly in your dad's lap your heavenly father's lap placing your hands on his steering wheel and we do the same thing we ask god to take the cup away that cup means so many different things it can be a disease It can be betrayal, it can be conflict, it can be a crisis, it can be just whatever's going on with your life, and we just pray, God, take this away from me. Prayer is simple. A simple prayer equipped Jesus Christ to face his worst-case scenario and his worst fear. The question this morning is, is what is your fire-breathing dragon? What is it in your life right now that is that cup, then we talk to God about it. And we be specific about our fears. What is your cup? Talk to God about it. Jesus made his prayers public. Hebrews 5, 7 says this, In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. You know, And his prayer in the garden was really a beautiful picture of the church in action. It really was. Listen, this is it. Church is a place, you write this down, where fears can be verbalized, pronounced, stripped down and denounced. If we are a healthy church, your fears and my fears die here. And so we pierce through them our fears with psalms and laments and with worship. We choose to gaze towards God and we verbalize our anger and our fears to our trusted circle of God-seekers. You know, you find your version of Peter, James, and John, and you pray that they stay awake a little bit better, and that they pray for you, that you share that information with with others. And as followers of God, you and I have a, a huge asset. We know some things that other people don't know. Number one, we know that everything is going to turn out all right, that Christ has not budged from his throne. He's still there. We know that Romans 8.28 hasn't evaporated from the Bible. We know that our problems are always God's possibilities. Just think about some Bible stories here. The kidnapping of Joseph resulted in preservation of the family. The persecution of Daniel led to a cabinet position. Christ enters the world by a surprise pregnancy, and then redeems it because of his unjust murder. Do we believe God's word? I mean, do we really believe that no disaster, no worst case scenario is ultimately fatal for us? I mean, Paul wrote his final words from the depths of a Roman prison Possibly chained to a guard there with the executioner nearby. I mean, this is a worst-case scenario for most of us, but listen to what Paul says in 2 Timothy 4.18. He says, The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. You see, Paul chose to trust the Father. Speaking of trusting their fathers... My last count is that McKenna has taken the plunge into the pool no less than 52,000 times now. But how about you? Are you willing to take the leap? Are you willing to take the plunge and to trust the Father? What is your worst case scenario? What is your cup Let us be a congregation that faces those fears and faces those problems like Jesus Christ did and rely on prayer, a simple prayer to our Heavenly Father. This morning, if we can help you and assist you in any way, whether you would like to have the prayers of the church or be baptized, if we can help you in any way, please come this morning while we stand and while we sing.